Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Just a couple more weeks in Revelation. We'll spend two weeks. We're going to try to get through all of chapter 21 this morning. Barely got it in in the first service. We'll see how it goes in this one. Uh, But then we'll spend two weeks on Revelation 22. And then Father's Day, we'll head to Ephesians 5. And fathers, don't you skip out, all right? We know where you live. We'll find you. You better be there. As you're finding your place in God's Word, I want to welcome all those that are joining us to be our live stream and also Reach Church DeSoto and the venue service down the hall. Grateful that all of you are here. In Revelation 21, we find what I think we most often think of as heaven. The word heaven in Scripture uh, can really mean about five different things. Um, But what we see here is what I think we most often think of when we think of heaven. The the eternal state. When will this occur? Uh, We've been working our way through Revelation. Just an overview very quickly. We're in an age of grace. When all the fullness of God is elect are brought in, there will be the rapture of the church. And then the world will enter into a time of tribulation. God will renew his purposes with the nation of Israel, bring them to their knees. They will cry out for him whom they had pierced. At the end of that tribulation, you'll remember, uh, Christ returns with the raptured church. Um, The battle of Armageddon, it's a very short battle. Christ wins, the rebellion is put down, and then we enter into the millennial kingdom. Uh, Christ will reign on earth, and Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints will rule with him on this earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, there'll be a brief rebellion. Satan will be released, one final rebellion. The rebellion will be put down. And God will start over. Uh, The heavens and the earth will melt, as Peter says, with intense heat. It's all coming down. Spielberg can't recreate this stuff. It's all coming down. Then you'll have the great white throne judgment that all those who have rejected God throughout the ages and who have rejected his Messiah, they will be resurrected And they will not be judged. It's really not a judgment. It's a sentencing. Uh, It's not a trial. They're sentenced. They are resurrected to an eternity in the lake of fire. And all of God's people are resurrected to eternal glory with God forever in the eternal state. What about this eternal state? Well, there's a lot that we don't know. But God has given us enough in his word that we can, we can understand it enough so that we would be willing to give our lives away in service to Christ with the assurance that this will be our eternal dwelling place. It's good for us to ponder these things. You ever heard that saying that they're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use? Can I just tell you quite frankly, I've never met that person. Never met them. 
Never, never met a person who was so eternally minded. I've met a lot of people who were so earthly minded that they were of no use to God in the things of eternity. And I think that's the greater fear for us as believers is that we would get so caught up in this earth we'd begin to think that this was home. Listen, we're strangers and aliens. This is not our home. That we're to be like Abraham. You remember what it said of Abraham? He was a stranger, a foreigner. He never settled down. Always living in tents. Never settled down. His nephew Lot settled down, didn't he? Settled down, and it didn't work out well for him. Got caught up in the things of the world. Abraham never settled it. Why? Because he was looking for a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the eternal state. That's you and I. We are faithful to God with one eye to the sky, always reminding ourselves that this is not home. This is our longing. It recalibrates our perspective. It helps pull us through the trials and the sinfulness of our life. I often say, why do dogs have fleas? To remind them they're dogs. Why do we have trials? To remind us that we're sinners. And we long for a place where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. And the hope of heaven and the eternal state pulls us through those difficult days and reminds us that all suffering and pain on this earth is temporary. One day we'll go to that eternal state. Not only is this our longing, and that's good, but it's the purpose of God for you. Did you know that? This is God's purpose for you. God's purpose for you is heaven. God's purpose for your life is not to get an education so you can get a good job and make lots of money and live in a nice house and retire in Florida. That's not God's purpose for you. This is God's purpose for you to complete you, for you to be swallowed up in life, for him to present you holy and blameless so that you can be with him and he can be with you forever. The eternal state. We're gonna look at it this morning. We're gonna work our way through this chapter. I can promise you, I'm just gonna go ahead and apologize up front. We're not even gonna begin to plumb the depths of this chapter. We're gonna get an overview. Maybe one day, this has inspired me, maybe one day we'll do a series on heaven. We'll just look at heaven for a while on Sunday mornings. I don't know, maybe. But we're gonna do the best we can this morning. Let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this passage. Father, as we come before you on this Memorial Day weekend, we all gathered in this place without any fear of persecution. And we know that for Christians throughout history, that's the exception, that's unusual. And we praise you that we still live in a great nation where we enjoy great freedoms, but we know that those freedoms came at a cost. Men and women died on battlefields all around the world and even here to protect the freedoms that we enjoy and often take for granted every day. Lord, we just say thank you today. And we pray for our current service men and women all around the world who are guarding and protecting us today. And we pray your blessings upon them. And we pray that you would bring them home soon and you would bring them home safe. Lord, we pray for our country. 
we see the tragedies all around us, especially this morning we think of a small community in Texas, Uvalde, and many families that have an empty seat at a table today because of the evil of sin. And our hearts are grieved and we pray for that community and we pray that just as you often do, you would bring about a redemptive purpose in the midst of tragedy and pain. We pray for the leadership of our country. We pray for every senator, every representative. We pray for our president. Lord, we know that ultimately you are in control. We rest in that. And as we study Revelation, we're reminded of how it all ends. Most importantly, we are reminded that you win. Lord, this morning as we study this text, open our eyes to the glory of the eternal state. And I pray that the nature of this passage and the principles that lie within it would cause us to turn away from the things of this earth, to fix our eyes on Jesus, and to store up treasure in heaven rather than here on earth. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, my prayer is that they would see the wonderful love of God demonstrated in his son, Jesus Christ, who died for their sins so that they could have the hope of heaven. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's look at this text. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. If there's one word that you're going to see repeated over and over, especially these first six verses, it's the word new. That this eternal state will be new, a new heavens and a new earth. In fact, really what you see here is a death and a resurrection, that the first heaven and the first earth passed away. That's the death of this world as we know it. It's all coming down. And then there will be a resurrection of a new heavens and a new earth, that it will have the form of this earth, but it will be completely new. In a similar way, you and I, will we have bodies? Yes, we will. They'll have a similar form, but they'll be new. Glorified bodies. In fact, we get an indicator of what we will be like when John said in 1 John 3, 2, that when we see him, when he appears, we will be like him. You want some indicators of what we will be? Look at the resurrected Christ. And you'll notice with Christ, he was a touchable, tangible person. Jesus said to Thomas, put your hands here. Be not unbelieving, but believing. We'll have a form. I don't know exactly what that will be, but Jesus was recognizable as Jesus. In fact, the only people who didn't recognize him was people that he prevented them from recognizing him, but they recognized him as Jesus. I think we will retain our current, some, some semblance of our current form and personality. So Bill's prayer that he'll be 6'4 is probably not gonna happen, Bill. You're gonna stay the same. 
But isn't this the manifold grace of God that each of us has a uniqueness and that will be the part of, of, of the eternal state that will be recognizable to one another. That we all have people that have gone before us and we'll be able to recognize them in a glorified state. Jesus was able to pass through space and time. People say, can we fly? I think we will. Jesus moved through space and time. Jesus ate. Amen. That's right. There we go, Denny. Yes, we'll eat. Food is good. We'll eat and not get fat. How about that? That's heaven right there. We get a picture of it. But, but the idea is there'll be the form, but new. That'll be the new heavens, the new earth, a similar form, but completely new. And by the way, let me say this. Here's what we do know. Scripture presents heaven as a tangible, touchable place. That heaven is not some spiritual consciousness. It's a real, touchable place. New heavens and new earth. And it says there at the end of verse one, no longer any sea. What does that mean, no longer any sea? I'm gonna give you my interpretation. There's many out there. Um, and I present mine very humbly. I could be wrong, I'm wrong a lot, but this is my interpretation. If you look at our current earth today, 75% of the earth's surface is covered with water. Um, and water is not a habitable, habitable place for humans. Good for fish, but not real good for us. Um, and then if you take the, the desert, arid desert places um, that are uninhabitable and you remove the, the polar ice caps, what you're left with is less than 10% of the earth's surface is actually habitable for you and me. And you say, what happened? Why is it this way? Well, that's why we studied Genesis. Why is the earth the way it is today? Sin, what happened in Genesis three? Sin, what happened that brought a whole lot of water to this place in Genesis nine? Something called the flood. It's a reminder that this earth is not as it was and it is not as it will be. That one day it'll be remade perfectly habitable for you and me to meet every need in our life in a perfect way just as God intended it. And you'll remember in Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor and you put all things in subjection to his feet. This earth was made to meet our every need, to be suitable to man in every way. Sin has marred it one day. God will recreate it, and it will be perfectly habitable for us. Not only perfectly habitable for us, but perfect in bringing glory to God. So will we go fishing? I think there will be some water, maybe, if you like to fish. I don't know. But perfectly habitable and no longer dependent upon water. Where will it be? It will be on a planet yet to be created. The form of the earth, but, but completely new. Not just new in relation to old, but new in terms of quality. When we think of, when we think of paradise, we tend to look back and look at Eden, and we think, boy, Eden, what a place. And it was, it was paradise. But let me ask you a question. Would you rather spend eternity in Eden or in the eternal state? Listen, no doubt about it. You're going to rather be in the eternal state. 
it's gonna blow anything this world has ever known out of the water. In the Garden of Eden, they had a theophany. God walked with them. In the eternal state, we'll have the beatific vision of Christ, simply meaning the full expression of God in his presence. We will see God face to face, and we'll have to have glorified bodies to do it. An unbelievable place, completely new. Look at verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So you're gonna see this city referred to as both the New Jerusalem and as a bride. What's going on here? Well, I think the explanation in my mind is pretty simple. It's the New Jerusalem because it's the hope of Israel. It's the, the bride because it's also comprised of the church. So what you have in this holy city, it encompasses the fullness of God's people, Jew and Gentile alike in one place. You can think of it this way, pre-Christ, it's the new Jerusalem. Post-Christ, it's the bride, but encapsulating the fullness of God's people. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He, he wants us to hear something very clearly in this verse, that we will be with God. Where will we spend eternity, for those of us that know Christ? We will spend it in heaven, on earth, in the midst of a new creation. But the most important thing for us to remember is that we will spend eternity with God. No more division between God and man. It's the ultimate reconciliation. There'll be no need for prayer. We'll just talk. No need for faith. Our faith will be sight. No more need for hope. No more need for your Bible. Your Bible will be obsolete because you'll stand in the presence of the living word of God. The glory of this, it's often been said, what makes heaven, heaven? You know what makes heaven, heaven? Because that's where Jesus is. Isn't this what we long for? We, we walk with Christ. What God has always desired is a perfect relationship with us. With no barrier of sin. That's what he's desired. And we come by faith and we trust in him and we have a relationship with him and what we, what we long for is not just heaven but we long to know him, to be with him and we hear his voice in his word and we pray and we talk with him but don't you ever wish you could just sit with him and talk with him? That's the glory of this, that what we've always longed for, this relationship by means of faith, we'll just walk into the presence of God and see him face to face. It's more than our minds can grasp. By the way, how do we get from Eden to the eternal state? We got Eden over here, good, but God is going to take us to a place that far surpasses Eden. You know how we get there? Sin. This is the glorious nature of the God we serve, that his story involves sin and redemption that brings us to a place that far surpasses what we ever knew in the beginning. Listen to me, we serve a God who redeems all circumstances for his glory. What a mighty God we serve. 
In verse four, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll no longer be any death. There'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things that passed away. Wipe away every tear from their eyes. You, there are some who see that you're gonna stand before God and the list of your sins are gonna be put out in front of you. There's no indication that that judgment will ever occur. So there's some that say they'll weep over their sin. Christ will wipe away. I think the picture here is there's no mourning, no crying, no pain in heaven, a place that has been untouched by sin and we will exist with God in the fullness of joy. Think about the greatest moments you've ever known in your life. The moments of the greatest joy that you have ever experienced and now think about going back to the source of that joy in his presence for all eternity. No crying, no mourning, no pain. Why no pain? Jesus, why no crying? Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And one, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. See, when Christ died on the cross, he not only took our sin, but he took our grief. He took our pain, he took our sorrow, he took the stripes that should have been ours, and now as we enter into that eternal state, no more pain, no more crying. Our sin has been paid for in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful place. Verse five, and he who sits on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. I think John just gets so caught up in the moment, he says, stop, write it down. Grab the pen. Verse six, then he said to me, it's done. We've heard that before, haven't we? Four times we get it is done in scripture. This is the last. This is the culmination of all of God's redemptive purposes. Listen, God is a finisher. What he sets his hand to do, he always finishes. Paul said in Romans eight, those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. We will be glorified. Why? Because God said so. What God starts, he always finishes. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's done because I'm the one who starts things. I'm the one who ends things. The beginning and the end, I'll give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I'll be his God and he'll be my son. Do you see the personal nature in that? You say, who, who gets here? Who gets this? Well, he tells us two things. Number one, it's a person who thirsts. Thirst for righteousness. You remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, meaning blessed are those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. That you bring nothing to the table. Can't remember who said it. He said, you know what I contributed to my salvation? Nothing, I just sinned. That's what we bring to the table, a broken and contrite heart. We just acknowledge our sin. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Not just know that we're bankrupt, we're grieved by it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And they will inherit the earth. And then, what is it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. This is abnormal. Prior to faith in Christ, did you ever know a, a, a part in your life where you're saying, boy, I just want more righteousness? No, what happened is you came into experience where God began to show you you were bankrupt. And you were grieved by it, you were humbled by it, and you came to your lowest point. Kyle, who got baptized this morning, said a series of events happened in his life to bring him to a place of complete humility that the, that the only way he had to look was up. Salvation is a work of God. He brings us to a place where we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We give God our sin in humility and he gives us his righteousness, the greatest exchange ever known to man. Listen, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness this morning, if you will turn to Christ, you'll be satisfied. And those who overcome, they don't overcome on their own, do they? They overcome, we've already seen this in Revelation, they overcome by the blood of the lamb. We trust in the one who, and this is the beauty of it, Jesus dies on a cross for our sins, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on a cross for our sins, is placed in a tomb, overcomes the grave, and now through faith in him, his victory becomes ours. Unbelievable. He wins the battle, and it's as if he gives us credit for it. You're the overcomer. You overcome, and we say, no, we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by Christ who died in our place. His victory becomes ours. And then what does it say? But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, they're their part will be in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You notice that list there. Cowardly, unbelieving, murders, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. They're not gonna be there. You know, you look at this and you start to think, my goodness, am I gonna get in? You remember Remember Paul talking to the Corinthians and he says that uh, all those who are immoral, the wicked, they will not inherit the kingdom. And right after that in, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, and such were some of you. Some of you read that list, you say, that was me, but what happened? You were washed in the blood of Christ. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. Heaven is not a place of people who lived a perfect life. They're a group of people who were sinners saved by the blood of Christ and cleansed by the blood of Christ. So he says, then verse nine, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here. Can you imagine this? This angel that's poured out a bunch of plagues, the bowls of judgment. I'm not sure I wanna go with you. Come here and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. You'll notice there again, he calls her the bride. And then, and he carried me away in verse 10 to the, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You see this holy city descending from heaven, referred to as both the new Jerusalem and the bride, one together encompassing all of God's people. Having the glory of God, verse 11, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. 
One of the commentators, the, the, the word here is really more of a description than an actual stone. And many believe it's probably best, better translated as a diamond. That heaven will have the appearance of a diamond reflecting the glory of God. In fact, after this first service, I had a geologist come to me. And he says, you see these stones. They're going to be mentioned here more in this chapter. And he said, you have no idea all the colors. White, gold, red, purple, sea green, all of it reflecting the glory of God. We get enamored with Christmas lights. Imagine the glory of heaven. Far more than we can get our minds around. It says in verse 12, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and the names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have a wall. You got a wall, it's got 12 gates, got 12 foundation stones. The first question is, why a wall? What's the deal with this wall? It gives a lot of attention to the wall. In fact, verse 17, it tells you that it's 72 yards um, in height. Uh, I think that's about 210 feet. What's the deal with this huge wall? Probably, uh, what I read this week, probably had to be at least 20 yards to 30 yards wide and 210 feet high. Why this wall? I thought, of the, well, why you put a fence around a cemetery? You ever see a cemetery with a fence? You're like, what are you doing? They're not gonna get out. It's not like they're trying to escape, you know? And I don't really wanna go in. So, um, but why a wall in heaven? I think it is a picture, an eternal picture of our perfect and eternal security in Christ. Eternally secure. What do we all long for? A place of total security. One day we'll know it. 12 gates, each of the gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. I think the 12 tribes of Israel because that's the nation through whom the Messiah would come. Jesus Christ, the Old Testament law, prophets, and the nation all create a crosshairs, all create a doorframe through which only Christ can enter. And so here are the 12 tribes of Israel once again proclaiming the Messiah who comes, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And then it has those 12 foundational stones with the names of the apostles written on it. Why? Because the apostles were sent out with the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the foundation of heaven is Jesus Christ. Both the gates with the nation of Israel and the stones with the names of the apostles are a constant reminder that there's only one way in Christ and there's only one foundational stone and it's Jesus Christ. He's the way into heaven and he's the foundation of heaven. Then in verse 15, uh, then one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width. He measured the city with his rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. I think that's kind of funny. I think the angel, I think John's looking at his angel thinking, is this right? I mean, you, yeah, it's the same angel, human. It's all the same. This is what it is. It's so overwhelming to him. 
1,500 miles in length and width and height. The size of this city is the reason why some seek to allegorize this. Me, as a simpleton, I believe if God spoke creation into existence, he's not going to have a problem with this building program. I don't think he's going to lack the resources to build it. 1,500 miles. I'll try to give you a, a, a way to think about this. It's roughly from Kansas City to the North Carolina coast and from the panhandle of Florida all the way to New York City. Enormous inside. Encompassing, in fact, one, one of the commentators figured up an approximate number of the inhabitants of heaven and he figured it that each one of us would have about 10 acres. How about that? An enormous city. There are those who see the height and see different levels. 1,500 miles high. To give you perspective on that, Mount Everest is five and a half miles high. 1,500 miles high. I believe God saves his greatest creation for last, overwhelming. And then we move on. It says, uh, the material of the wall, verse 18, was jasper. The city was pure gold. Like clear glass, the foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second, sapphire. The the third, chalcedony. The, The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, Christ of praise, the the 11th jacinth, the the 12th amethyst, and the 12 gates were were 12 pearls. There's a lot of conjecture on this. I hesitate to even go. But but do you know pearls, they're created by what? Oysters. Oysters are unclean to the nation of Israel. Um, And they're also created by an irritation inside the oyster that brings about a pearl. Boy, we could go a lot of ways with that, couldn't we? I just know this, it's gonna be glorious. And each one of the gates was a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it. Isn't it neat that John points out what he doesn't see? He says what he says. I think he was looking for a temple. He says there's no temple for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The picture is the temple is a place where you kind of seclude God's presence from the rest of an unclean world. In heaven, there's no need for seclusion. We have the presence of God. Uh, R.C. Sproul uh, talks about his uh, father uh, in his latter years was very sickly and and R.C. Sproul took care of his father. And when his father passed away, he had these recurring dreams about his father. And normally he would see his father in kind of a sickly state. But then on one occasion, he saw his father energized, new, in heaven. And he went up to his father and he said, Father, take me to the place that I can see the glory. And his father said to him, Son, it's all glory. It's all glory. No secluding of God's presence. It's all glory. Verse 23, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God is illumined it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime for there will be no more night. 
And then it goes on to say its gates will never be closed. At night in a city like this with a walled city, they'd have to close up the gates to protect them. It's a place of eternal security. You know, you ever hear one of your parents tell you nothing good happens after midnight, you know? Darkness is where people like to practice evil. There's no evil here. You can leave your keys on the dashboard. You can unlock the door. There's no fear of any harm being done to you. Perfectly secure. And they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Verse 27, and nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a glorious picture. Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's not even entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't begin to comprehend it. You know what I think? This is just me conjecturing. I think, because this is what I thought about this week. That when I get there, I would say to the Lord, Lord, if I knew, if I had, if I had known it was this glorious, I would have given myself more fervently to your work. You know, we get so enamored with the things of this earth so caught up in the little trinkets of this world, I think the angels of heaven laugh and shake their heads. They spend so much time worried about a bunch of junk that rusts and rots and fades. All the while, they're missing out on the eternal glory. The reason we study these passages, the reason I think God wrote these things down is so that we would get a glimpse and we would be reminded that this is home, not here. There's a story of an older couple. They uh, pretty impoverished. They had one son, apple of their eye, very brilliant son, and they saved up all their money. They sent their son to college and... Uh, he went on to get a degree and become a very successful architect. And the parents of this boy, they were so proud of him. And they would have some of their friends come over and have dinner with them at their house. And, and they would tell their friends about what their son was doing. They would say, you know what our son is doing for us? He bought a little piece of land and, and he's building us a house. And they would begin to talk about all the aspects. You, you're not gonna believe the kitchen. And, and they get the plans out. And they, they, they look at this kitchen. Beautiful sink overlooks the property. You're not gonna believe the, 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 the living room and the fireplace and, and, and the rooms. It's unbelievable. And then they get emotional. They, they'd say, you have to forgive us. Sometimes when we get these plans out, we start to think we're already there. Is it not true that sometimes when we get these plans out, we're reminded that we're not there. This is not our home. Some of you are here this morning saying, how can I, 
How can I know that this will be my this will be my eternal state? There's only one way. In fact, the interesting thing about this chapter, there's a glaring omission. The name Jesus Christ is never mentioned in Revelation 21. Christ is mentioned, but not his name Jesus Christ. Guess how he's mentioned? As the lamb. Throughout the chapter, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. Why? Because the question of the Old Testament, you remember when Abraham went up on that mountain with Isaac and Isaac said, I see the wood. Where's the lamb? And you remember the first title given to Jesus in the New Testament when John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The beauty of this inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ is that all of us come, all of this, every aspect comes to us, not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what Christ has done in our faith in him. It's what Peter said, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, never taken from you, eternally secure, undefiled, untouched by sin. You ever long for a day where we never have to deal with sin again? Untouched, unstained by sin. Do we have people in our lives that sometimes let us down, disappoint us, they fail in sin Always reminding us never to put somebody on too high a pedestal. Because they're all sinners and people get stained by sin. We're going to a place that's untouched by sin. No more stains. No more struggle with sin. And it will not fade away. Meaning every moment in heaven, the greatness of that moment will be surpassed by the next moment. It just gets better and better and better. And better, and all of this comes to us, Peter says, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us by the power of God through faith. Do you know what God does the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ? God says, I've got a place for you. And Christ has gone away to prepare a place for you. And I don't know about you, but some days I begin to think, Lord, I'm not sure I'm gonna get there. I wonder if sometimes there's an angel who says, Lord, I'm not sure Chad's gonna make it. What are you? He's a knucklehead. And you know what Jesus says? He's not getting here on the basis of how well he lives. He's getting here on the basis of how well my son lived. And he placed his faith in Christ and now he has a reserved spot. I'm holding it for him and nobody can take it from That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that all this can be yours today on the basis of faith. Do we have a hymn? Oh, we got a hymn. There was a hymn that just kept running through my mind. Sometimes I don't know, and I just gotta be honest. I know I've heard from so many people. It's kind of the burden a little bit. I gotta tell you, because every week now I think I gotta have a hymn. I'm gonna get emails, all right? Um, Uh. By the way, there are people that ask me, will there be animals in heaven? That's a question I've got a lot. I believe there will be a glorified zoological life. I don't know what it looks like. Um, Will there be dogs? I hope so. If I were God, there would be dogs. (laughs) Will there be cats? No, 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 no. Sorry, Pastor Bill, they're not making it. 
But during the week, I, I prepare and prepare. And, and inevitably, there's sometimes very early in the week, there's a song that immediately comes. To me. It really, truly is. It's not strategic. I, I just, as I'm praying through the text, normally a song comes to mind. Sometimes it's very connected, sometimes not so much. But there was a song this week. Come now, fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. And you know that verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let us live in light of eternity. Y'all wanna sing that one as we close? Pastor Bill, come on up. I don't have the words, it came to me late. Yesterday, in fact. I was studying yesterday, Faith and Wyatt traveling and me and Walker and I was just in the dining room studying and this one came to me so you don't have the words all right I'm sorry it's not that don't ever think it's our if there's ever a weak link it's probably me all right so just remember that I didn't get the words soon but I think most of y'all know this so let's stand together we're going to sing that first verse that we all know come thou fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy praise and then we'll sing that verse that I think we also know oh to grace how great a debtor let's sing this together Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the name of Fixed upon it, name of thy redeeming love. Oh, to grace, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Father, that is our prayer, that you would seal our hearts to the courts above. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, never trusted in Christ, I pray that just as you did in the lives of those of us here today who know you, that you would peel back the blinders. Maybe they're watching online. They didn't wake up this morning thinking that they would trust in you, but maybe you're moving in their heart right now. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're at Reach Church DeSoto. Maybe they're venue service right now, wherever they might be. God, I pray that you'd pull back the blinders. By your spirit and by your word, I pray that they would see the depth of their sin, that they're spiritually bankrupt. I pray that they would see the depth of their sins. They'd be grieved. They'd mourn. They'd be humbled. But I pray also that they would thirst for righteousness. They would look to you and you would bestow your righteousness on the basis of faith. They'd be reborn by the Spirit of God. Lord, we pray that you would do this for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.